Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed.
I want to use you, says the Lord. You've got to rise up. You've got to rise up. I want to use you in this hour. I want to give you of my power. I want to use you. My children, you've got to rise up Rise up Rise up Rise up Rise up Hallelujah Rise up Rise up Rise up Rise up
Halleluja! Halleluja! Jesus! Just praise Him. Halleluja! We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you. Show us your glory. Show this city your splendor. Visit this city tonight, Father God. In a 50-mile radius, pour out your spirit. Oh, on Bourbon Street, pour out your spirit upon the prodigal sons and daughters. Oh, Father God, send your glory. Send the glory. Send the light of your presence. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we humble ourselves tonight. We ask you to forgive us tonight, Papa. We seek your face tonight. Forgive us for just seeking your hand, Lord. And we stand in the gap and we ask you to come and heal this land. Smite the mayor of conviction tonight. Smite the city council. Smite every religious leader. Smite every dignitary in the parade. God, God, do as you promised, Father. Do as you promised in your word that all men would see your glory. Hallelujah. Do as you promised, Father. Lord, our spirit is vexed. Like righteous lot, our spirit is vexed day by day by the lawless deeds that are parading in our city, in this nation. Hallelujah. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Hallelujah. Pray. Get off your gluteus maximus and pray. So I'm serious, folks. Do what you can to stir yourself up and get a hold of the heart of God for the lost tonight. If you feel like kneeling, kneel. Just stir yourself up. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Hallelujah. Cry out to the Lord tonight. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah.
God, turn up the switch, Lord, and let this revival move into an awakening. God, give us an awakening in this city. God, Abba, Abba. The set time has come, Abba. Lord, we don't want to see souls go to hell. Lord, I thank you there's people tonight that will be forgiven much and they'll become great lovers of you. Hallelujah. Those who are forgiven much will be loved much. There's Martha's there tonight that have seven demons in them. Oh, and they'll be free. Hallelujah. And they'll wash your feet. <laughs> Jesus. God, we've been waiting for this. We've read about it in history, Father. Like the Welsh revival while the bars shut down. Lord, what a pleasure it would be to see all Bourbon Street shut down. And turn into one massive Holy Ghost prayer meeting. Hallelujah. We're not going to throw in the towel and give up. Do as you've done before, Papa. Jonah said seven words and a whole city of Nineveh repented. Oh, Jesus. Be very sensitive to the Holy Ghost tonight, folks. I tell you, there's angels all around this place. Don't get in a program mode. What's next? Well, this is it right now. Please enter in. There's about maybe a, a quarter that are not entering in. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your problems. Get your, your brain off of what, you're, what you've been through and start giving yourself, pour yourself like, like water for those who don't have the privilege of knowing Jesus. Why not? It happened in Finney's day. Why not? It happened in Finney's day. People 50 mile radius on horseback coming in in carriages following the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Saloons, houses of prostitution cut down, shut down. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I sense the presence of angels all around. 
A lot of angelic activity tonight. Glory to God. You start talking about the lost. All of heaven starts looking down on the service to like this. Charles G. Finney said this in his autobiography. Contemplate much the guilt and danger of sinners. That your zeal for their salvation may be intensified. Deeply ponder and dwell much upon the boundless love and compassion of Messiah for them. So love them yourself as to be willing to die for them. Give your most intense thought to the study of ways and means by which you may save them. Make this a great and intense study of your life. Refuse to be diverted from this work. Guard against every temptation that would abate your interest in it. Lord, we ask for a supernatural lightning strike upon Cafe Joel tonight. Let us hear the reports as the frontline soldiers come back in. We give you the glory, Lord. We give you the honor. We give you the glory, Lord. We give you the honor. We give you the glory, Lord. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. God talked to my heart and he said that he's restoring the robe of his priestly anointing in these days and that those who are brave enough and bold enough to go in and touch the tip of his scepter will go out with more authority than has ever been experienced before on the face of this earth. You have been sealed for a time as this. As, as Jesus walked in a priesthood not of man, so shall my people walk in a priesthood that is not of man, in an authority that is not of man, in the name that is not of man. But you must have my boldness to come in and touch my scepter and receive your priestly robe. Just reach out by faith and touch that scepter.
be Holy Ghost knighted tonight. There's a supernatural boldness in the room tonight. Many of the believers from the church were inside the pastor's home. And I looked down at the barbecue grill. I had forgotten a spatula. And in this vision, I turned to walk back into the back door of this house, this parsonage, to get a spatula. And when I opened up the screen door, I looked up. And as far as you could see on the horizon was this huge black squall line, a thunder system approaching. And out of the middle of the thunderstorm system appeared a huge tornado. This is a month before the movie Twister came out. And there was this huge black tornado just a few thousand meters away bearing straight for the house. And nothing in this most beautiful, gorgeous, sunny afternoon hinted of a storm of this magnitude was approaching. And I was literally traumatized when I saw this thing. I threw open the door. I ran into the house and I began to scream to all the believers, Get to the basement! Get to the basement! There's a twister coming! Get to the basement! I began to scream and scream to all the believers. None of the believers would listen to me. Everybody was looking like, What's wrong with Scott? It's a beautiful day outside. A twister, what's he talking about? A bunch of sisters walked in the front door, just came back from the shopping center carrying a bunch of bags of clothing and stuff they had bought. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? We're going out and going sunbathing today and swimming at the pool. There's no twister. What's, what's wrong with Scott? And I began to scream and scream. Nobody would listen to me. And so I ran downstairs into the basement. And as I ran down the stairs, I heard all these footsteps behind me. And I looked around and it was all the children in the house. Only the children listened to me. None of the adults listened to me. And I ran down, and I told all these little kids, I said, get into the basement, into the bathroom. And I told them to get into the bathroom. And I began to get load them into the, into the tub because I was raised in Oklahoma, and there's many twisters, and, I, and this bathroom's the safest place. I began to tell them, get into the tub. Get into, around the, you know, it's a, it's a, ba a, a basement bathroom, really stinky, not clean very much, and it was just disgusting. And I told them to get around the toilet. And, and, and I began to kneel down over them and, and cover myself. I began to cry out to God in intercession. And as I was getting ready to cry out, I was getting ready to close the bathroom door. But you could hear this sound of this twister coming. And I looked, and the pastor and his wife, who you guys don't know, they were sitting in the, around an old kitchen table in the basement with their Bibles open and their word studies and discussing among themselves why what Scott was preaching was not from God. Because the Lord wouldn't send a tornado. God's good. God wouldn't do this to us. They were more concerned about correct doctrine than taking action. I'll give you the interpretation of the vision in just a second. And I knew they wouldn't listen, so I closed the door. And I huddled over all these little kids. And I began to scream out in utter intercession. And then suddenly, this disgusting bathroom became the secret place of the Most High. Suddenly, we were caught up into heaven. The peace, the tranquility, the safety. And this happened for a while. And then I heard the tornado resume in the backyard. 
And I knew that a twister had jumped over the top of the house. And I ran out of the bathroom. And as I was running up the stairs, back outside, this little blonde-haired girl, about maybe eight years old, grabbed my shoulder and pulled me back like this and looked at me with the eyes of a prophet, a little girl. And then she goes, you'll be needing this, and handed my shofar to me. So I ran up onto the deck with this shofar. And I ran to the deck. All the believers in the house began to follow me out. And on the deck now, we didn't see a beautiful backyard scenery, beautiful trees. We saw now a twister had come and decimated. No more trees. It was just total wasteland. And right just at the edge of the pastor's backyard was a dip into a valley. And as far as you could see was a city in a valley. Like standing on the top of Los Angeles, the hills, and looking down into the city. As far as the eye could see. Like standing in Jersey and looking down into New York City. And suddenly, as these twister, as this thunderstorm system came over the city, all the streetlights began to come on. And to my horror, not one twister, but now one, two, three, four, five, six, eleven twisters began to drop into the city. I saw buildings exploding, flashes of blue power lines. We looked horrified. We saw a school bus go just flying up into the air. And at that time, a resolve dropped into me. Like a fireman would run into a burning house to save somebody he doesn't even know. This resolve, this compassion dropped into me to do whatever I can to warn the people in the valley below of these twisters coming. And I grabbed the chauffeur and I began to run off the deck. And as I was running off the deck, I noticed in the pastor's backyard that was previously hidden by the trees was this huge electrical transformer. This was the electrical transformer that provided all of the light and the electricity for the people in the valley below. Right there in the pastor's backyard. I go, what's it doing here? I ran off the deck and I was instantly in the inner city. The first man I met was a wino. I began to beg him. The twisters are coming. Get saved. You may say, what does the twister represent? It doesn't necessarily mean judgment. The twisters represent the eternal damnation of the sinner in the lake of fire. Let me just read this to you. I wasn't even planning on talking about this tonight, but it's, I tell you, the Holy Ghost is here. Nahum chapter 1. Let me just read these scriptures to you. Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. He reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In the tornado and storm is his way. And the clouds of the dust beneath his feet. Isaiah 66. Verse 15. Behold, the Lord will come in fire. And his chariots like the tornado. Elisha saw Elijah taken up in a twister. Job. God comes to Job. As one preacher said, what is a tornado? That's the motor car of God when he's upset. Job 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, the tornado, and said, Who is this that darkens counsel? 
by words without knowledge. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Who stretched a line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God, ah, shouted for joy. So I ran to this wino on the streets of the inner city, in this huge city. And I told him, the twisters are coming. Get saved. Jesus loves you. And I began to blow the shofar. And his attitude was totally different than the believers in the, in the house. He looked at me and said, yeah, I believe you. There's a twister. I see it. Yeah, it's coming. But he said, there's no use. We might as well eat and drink and party, but tonight we're going to die. And I knew he wouldn't listen. And I kept on running down the street. And as I was running down the street, I would meet people. And I saw people's faces I saw today on Bourbon Street. That same glaze in their eyes. Like oxen going off to the slaughter. And I saw, and I remember I stopped this young couple. And, and they were standing in front of this movie house. And I would be in a big, don't go in the movie house. Get saved. Jesus loves you. And suddenly the movie house just went... It's like they turned around this glaze in their eyes. And they, they, they okay, what's coming? But oh, who cares? And walked into this thing. And the tornado came and the whole building just imploded and exploded. I kept on running. Eventually what happened was this huge city in the valley. You want me to keep going? This huge city in the valley became the entire eastern seaboard of North America. I began to run through New York City, through Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. I eventually reached South Florida, excuse me, Northern Florida, Jacksonville area. And as I reached Jacksonville, listen folks, this is prophetic. As I reached Jacksonville, that area, suddenly I reached a mass of people. They were all traveling the opposite direction toward the tornadoes. And I was going through a crowd of people warning them. I couldn't even run anymore. And everybody in Florida was caught up with three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And people were on roller baths, people were lifting weights, everybody was trying to look good and getting suntan, and everybody was caught up in exercise and how they looked. And I was trying to warn them about these twisters. And suddenly everybody stopped. And all these girls and men started acting like they were modeling for some, some movie you know, program or something. And I looked over and out of these oceanfront condominiums came all these Jewish movie producers with their mistresses in their arms. And they began to come out. And all these people stopped as though they wanted to, you know, be in the next movie, the next script. I kept on running. I kept on running. I eventually reached South Florida through Miami. And I came to um, Key Largo. And we have the Gulf on the right-hand side and the Atlantic on the left. And as I got down there, suddenly the twisters caught up with me. And the twisters came and they all became water spouts on the Gulf side and the Atlantic side. And I looked and I saw all these intercessors that were praying and the twisters would be all suddenly back into the heaven like that. And I knew something was about to happen in the rest of America, not just the East Coast. And I must turn around and run again and blow the shofar and warn people what's about to happen. And as I turned around, I saw a whole army of believers. The army represents the people of God that are listening to the trumpet, whether it be through people on TV or in the pulpit or you read your Bible, that are hearing that there's change in the air. A third were men, a third were women, a third were children. Most of the army was, the, was women. Let me say, well, why is that? 
Look in your Bibles in Psalms. Psalms 68. And verse 11. The Lord gives the word, and great was the company that published it. The original Hebrew is, great was the army of women who proclaimed the good news. I didn't hear many amens from the women out there. Great was the company, Nikiva, Tzavot, host. Great was the army that published the good news. You say, well, I, what do you mean? I, 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 I'm a mom. I'm a, you know, I'm a soccer mom. I, I drive my kids around. I do this. I do that. Well, look at the next verse. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And she who remains at home will divide the spoil. Look at verse 17. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them at Sinai in holiness. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captive thy captives, thou hast received gifts among men. That's right there, that's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, isn't it? Chapter 4. And so when I turned, suddenly I saw all these army of God, and I turned, and I woke up. And I turned to my wife, and I said, I just had a vision from God. And this is the interpretation. See, if you have a dream or a vision, you don't know the interpretation, well, it's probably just pepperoni pizza from the night before. Or Cajun spices or something. <laughs> the pastor's house on a beautiful Sunday afternoon, a beautiful suburbia, a beautiful scenic day, represents the current state of the North American church. That we're enjoying a level of God's blessings that no other generation has ever experienced. All of the believers in the house represent most churches in North America. That it's really become just a social club. Nothing wrong with fellowship, but there's been an overbalance with fellowship. We're there cooking away. Having good fellowship. And I turned, and to my utter horror, I saw a twister drop out of the sky, coming right for the house. The twister represents God's, in the eventual judgment on sin, and people slipping into hell unless they're warned. I ran to the house and I began to scream. None of the older believers would listen to me. The only people that would respond were the children. The children represent believers regardless of your age or gender that are heeding the prophetic oracles of God in this hour. The women that came in from shopping, nothing wrong with shopping represents the current state of the church that we're so caught up with fashion and so caught up with materialism that we don't see this day approaching. As I ran downstairs and the, I heard all these little steps, the little kids following, I saw the pastor and his wife there, Word of Faith pastors, discussing to me why and telling among themselves why what I was saying was not from God. God is good. Of course God is good. But you've got to read the rest of the book too. There's been an overbalance. We had to have learned God is good. I mean, in the 50s when Oral Roberts said God is good, I mean, that was blasphemy to many churches. And now there's, we got stuck in the rut on the other side. We had to pull back into the middle of the road. 
The goodness, behold the goodness and the severity of God. Amen? See, all creation is groaning in childbirth right now for the manifestations of the sons and daughters of God. Creation, can't, creation is in the thaldrum of decay, folks. It can't handle much more sin. The land is about to spew it out, folks. You know, why, are the, why is there such a move, environmentalism, about trying to save the whale and the spotted owl and all this other stuff? Why are they disappearing? Because it says that in Micah, the fish of the sea disappear and the birds of the sky because of the sins of Israel. Forget about trying to save the whale. Start saving the humans. <clears throat> they found Sodom and Gomorrah recently in Israel. They found a little spot where sulfur, they found a whole city right outside Masada. It was a different end of the Dead Sea than they thought. They found the whole place covered in brimstone, just total ash. Huge city gates, huge, you know, figures of a sphinx from Egypt. All right there. All just as a witness to us. I remember I was preaching at a gay bar one night when I was a student. We were preaching at a gay bar and, and we were witnessing and, 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 and just telling the people Jesus loves them and warning them. And this man, this archaeologist came up next to me. He's dropping the 7-Eleven, which is next door to this bar. Just dropping by. He saw us preaching. He said, and he said, not to me, but the team leader, he said, don't ever stop preaching, young man. I've been to Sodom and Gomorrah. I know where the, the foundations are. I've seen where the little rocks are fused together. He says, don't you stop warning. When that woman raised from the dead, folks, when I went to the airport, I stood there in front of a woman registering my ticket, getting my baggage ready. And I looked at her. I didn't see a woman. I saw a skeleton of either somebody that's got a born-again spirit or a spirit that's full of death. That's what I saw today. I'm telling you, folks, I just kept my head down mainly, just walking through Bourbon Street, Pastor leading us. And then I stopped, and I looked up, and I saw all these people up in the balcony, and they all had fear and death, a white ashen look on their faces. You know, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Hallelujah. Do you feel the cry of God tonight? As I ran down the house, the basement, <clears throat> ran into the bathroom, the bathroom represents the camouflaged entrance to the secret place of the Most High. It's a place of humility and abasement. And that is the secret place of the Most High. The only thing that would cause us to miss what's about to happen is utter intercession as we cried out. The twister jumped over the house, went down to the valley. There in the valley, all the trees were ripped out, and there was a huge electrical transformer in the backyard of the pastor that provided the electricity and the lighting for all the people in the valley below. Interpretation is that we have in the church the power, Matthew 18, to bind and loosen through prayer. And the people in the valley below are dependent. The people in New Orleans are dependent on churches like this to use the authority God's given us. Hallelujah. I ran off the deck, ran into the city. The rest is, you know, you can, that's self-interpreting. Ran throughout the North America. I ran out into Florida. Why was all these people? Well, in Florida, Florida represents the climax of retirement. People go down there and retire and die. 
It represents the hope of every kid to go to Disney World, to the false kingdom. <laughs> Everybody looks at Florida as being a place to get away to. All the travel agencies. You know, paint Florida so nice looking. Come on now. People go down there. The movie producers coming out, everybody modeling for this next show represents the current state of North America that is totally addicted to video and TV. That the role models today is no longer, you know, good people. The role models today are Hollywood figures. So I ran down through South Miami and I saw these twisters become water spouts. The vision ended. Wherever we've gone the last three years recently and gone down the coast, twisters have been dropping. It's incredible. The last time we preached this message was in Miami, last May. I preached this message. The next week, twist, excuse me, the next weekend, twisters dropped all over down, this huge twister dropped out of, all over, and sped all around downtown Miami. You saw that on CNN? Took the roof off the police department, became a water spout. That's exactly what, what happened. Now, I remember the last point of the vision is that I finished warning the people about the twisters and headed west. This is the first church we've gone to west of Florida. Our ministry mainly has been up and down the coast the last three years. This is the first church that we've gone. This is the farthest west we've gone. And as soon as we've gone west, twisters dropped all throughout central Florida last night. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you. I just hear the heartbeat of God for the lost. Hallelujah. You know, and we, listen, we'll get back in the joy. Don't worry about that. I'm not into hyper-spiritual warfare. Extra-biblical. I just want to tell you that the Lord told me to stand in front of, during Washington for Jesus in 1996, the Lord told me, he said, son, I want you to stand in front of the White House. And blow the shofar with a couple of their friends during Washington for Jesus. And I said, why? He said, I want, he goes, I just want you to obey me. So I stood in front of there and all the secret service there was, had their, their crosshairs on us like that. Because the shofars look like guns, you know, like rifles. I'm serious. And they came out in mass. What are you guys doing here? And we just said, well, we're just here to pray. And they kind of backed off a little bit. We began to blow the shofar. And we began to blow the shofar April 1996, in front of the White House, I suddenly saw the Lord come, and you know how you take one piece of string and you pull it, and the whole sweater falls apart, you know, eventually? I saw the Lord pull one string like that, and the entire administration of Clinton just fall apart, unravel. And the next month is when he started seeing that girl. That's when it started. Right after that, we went to to the stage Washington for Jesus the Lord says I want you to blow the shofar when they asked me to, they asked me to blow it seven times at the end of Washington for Jesus and I said Lord what meaneth this he said this is a changing of the guard in the body of Christ the baton is passing from the Moses generation to the Joshua generation and that was the same weekend that Lester Sumrall that old war horse went home to be with the Lord Lester let me tell you something folks Lester was the last connecting link between people in revival now and the people that were in revival back in Azusa and the Pentecostal and the healing revival. You should read his story. It's awesome. 
Hallelujah. And Wigglesworth came and laid hands on him. And said, all the faith that's in my heart, being this young man's heart. All the gifts of the Spirit in operation in my life. There, Wigglesworth, 80 years old, weeping over this young man. Praying for him. Because Lester had to leave England because of the Nazi threat during World War II. All the Americans had to, had to leave England. This is the last time they're going to see each other together. And then Wigglesworth began to prophesy that there's coming. I see a great move of God coming, but I'll not be a part of it. But you'll see the beginning of it, Lester. Whole hospitals will be emptied. I see doctors running down the streets screaming. Untold millions will be swept into the kingdom. You see, I, I see all the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church in the last days. And a few months before Lester died, this is what our pastor said, he got a call and said, I want you to come to my church and do meetings in South Bend, Indiana. And this minister said, well, maybe I should, you should come to my church and do meetings. He said, no, you must come to my church because what you're doing is the beginning of what Les, um, Wigglesworth prophesied about, and I must see it. And they went and had meetings. And this war horse went home to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. That same month was Passover. For the first time ever in this century, the moon turned red as blood on Passover night. The Lord had told us 96 hours before Passover, even before Washington for Jesus, told us to go to Wall Street and blow the shofar. We had gone to Wall Street on February 15, 1995. This anointing comes. It's kind of similar tonight, but it's much stronger. This anointing comes, and, and it's, it's powerful, folks. You just feel like a little cork in the middle of an ocean. You sense what I sense tonight? The Lord told us to stand in, at Wall Street and blow the shofar in 95. We blew the shofar, and the Lord says, I said, Lord, what meaneth this? He says, I'm going to show you what I'm about to do. And I, and I saw the stock market go like that, just skyrocket. To eventually go like this. We blew the shofar seven days later that Wall Street had a record. Went past 4,000. Since February 15th. You can study it out. It's gone past 8,000. See, the, the second great awakening that happened and began in Hamilton, Ontario, where we just came from two weeks ago began and then slipped down into New York City. And a man began to pray for New York. And only about 15 people were showing up at his prayer meeting. And then suddenly there was a financial crisis in the banks of New York City and the banks closed and people couldn't get money to buy food. And in two weeks, this guy's prayer meeting went to 2,000 people. And that was the beginning of the great awakening that swept all the way to the Mississippi. Never got south because of slavery. Just stayed in the north. And that was the, the, the awakening that Finney was, was the leader of. Over a million people got born again just a couple years before the Civil War. With no printed page, nothing like that. No TV, no radio. Finney says there was a, there was a revival meeting from, from Boston to the Mississippi. Oh! That's what I was praying for tonight, folks. <laughs> Do it, Papa. 
Lord, all I can do is speak out of my heart tonight. You just got to stir us up, Father. Get us to that place. You just do it, Father. You just do it, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We built a shofar the second time at Wall Street, 96 hours before Passover, April 96. And we began to blow the shofar, my friend and I, in Dalit, in front of the New York City Stock Exchange. And, I, and it was the most eeriest anointing I ever felt. I said, Lord, what, what is this? It felt like, you know, you watch the movie Ten Commandments and it's Passover night, you know. And that green death cloud is coming down, you know. Ooh. I mean, heavy duty. And I said, Lord, what do you mean this? And the Lord spoke to me and says, I'm going, this is a sign to you, son. And I'm going to begin to shake the commerce, he said very specifically, the commerce and trading activities of North America. This is just a sign to you. 96 hours later, the Secretary of Commerce and several of the top CEOs died in a tragic plane wreck in Bosnia. Brought shutters into the stock exchange for a moment. See, I don't know what's all about to happen. I mean, I'm just a Jewish messenger boy. Hallelujah. But I sense we're on the brink of the greatest awakening that the world has ever seen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So this is the first time we've been off the east, eastern seaboard in these meetings. It's an honor to be here with you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Turn to Haggai chapter 2. Glory to God. You want to keep going? Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Haggai 2. Verse 4, but now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of the armies of heaven. NIV says the Lord Almighty. It's Adonai Tzvaot. I need to repeat this, though. This is powerful. This word, Adonai Tzvaot, Lord of hosts, means the Lord of the armies of heaven, the commander-in-chief of the host of heaven. The host of heaven are not fat little babies with wings on their back that you see in some Hallmark Christian Christmas card. We're talking about warrior angels, chariots of fire, myriads upon myriads. Hallelujah. There's more that be with us tonight than with them. See, this word, Lord of hosts, is not used anywhere in the first five books of Moses. You know, the first five books of Moses is where we get our understanding of the Lord, our righteousness, the Lord, our peace, you know, the Lord, our healer. I'm, hello, come on, the covenant names of God. But I've never heard any teaching on the Lord of the armies of heaven. You know why? Because it's a later addition by the Holy Ghost into the 8th century prophets talking of the end time apocalyptic grand finale. Oh! Hallelujah. 
This word, the Lord of the armies of heaven, Adonai Tzvot. Say that, Adonai Tzvot. Hallelujah. It's the most powerful name given to God the Father. And the commander of the host of the Lord is who? Jesus. And he met Joshua. And Joshua bowed down. Hallelujah. Now, am I into hyper-spiritual warfare? No, not at all. The most powerful, you know, listen, the most powerful weapon outside the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus is your body. It says yield your bodies not as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness, but as instruments or weapons of righteousness. What's well, another great spiritual weapon? is tithing, paying the tithe. You tithe, God will rebuke the devourer. Hallelujah. <laughs> you don't tithe, well, man, you'll have squirmishes. You'll be fighting de demons like bees all the time. You tithe and give offerings, amen? amen? Is it okay if I just back up a little bit on this? Look at Luke. We have time tonight. There's an anointing here just to kind of teach, so we'll just flow with it. Look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that time, he rejoiced greatly. Just picture Jesus rejoicing greatly, Georgian. Hallelujah. Greatly in the Holy Spirit. I praise you, Abba. Lord of heaven and earth, let us hide these things from the wise and intelligent and just reveal them to the babes, the children that ran into the basement. Yes, Abba, it's well pleasing in thy sight. Now, I looked this up and I thought eons ago that when Satan got lifted up in pride and was cast out of heaven. That's when Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning. How many people thought like that before? That's what I thought. But this, I looked this up in the Greek. Let me tell you what it says in the Greek. It says, the imperfect points to what was constantly repeated. Every expulsion of demons means a fall of Satan. So he says, present tense, when you guys were out there casting out devils, I was watching Satan fall like lightning. So every time we preach the gospel, somebody gets saved, just do the works of Jesus, Satan's infrastructure crumbles. So we don't have to fight ruling spirits with hocus-pocus spiritual you know, intercession. Come on now. Have all these different banners. This is for this principality and this. Come on. You know what I'm about. How many people used to do that? I used to do that all the time. The most effective spiritual weapon is the proclamation of the good news. Because the power is in the gospel. And when somebody gets healed, when somebody gets set free, guess what happens? Satan's kingdom begins to crumble. 
But Satan looks for a body to come through, either an animal body or a human body. So what is the strongholds we're dealing with? 2 Corinthians 10, you know what it is? Strongholds in people's minds, casting down thoughts. So if you can change people's thinking through the Word of God, Satan has no helipad or no, <laughs> no landing pad to put his talons into. Oh! So you link the proclamation of the good news with signs and wonders. Man, that's the most powerful spiritual weapon right there. And as the church starts to do that, that's what we're doing, and more people begin to do that. Satan's kingdom itself will entirely begin to crumble until the big honcho will fall to earth himself. Look at Revelation 12. Verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels, man, I feel such an anointing here tonight. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. There's no place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the land, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. The first two God's already taken care of. The last one we have to take care of. Hallelujah. The Greek word to be a witness unto all the nations is the Greek word martyr. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, Acts 1-8, and you shall be my martyrs. So if you get to the point tonight, just this week, just go ahead and sign your death certificate. That you no longer belong to yourself. Now your body becomes a weapon or instrument of righteousness, Romans, 7, uh, Romans 5. Oh! What do you mean by what, what, we just, what kind of warfare are we supposed to do? Well, you just get downloaded with the glory and the joy. And wherever you go, you become a mobile tabernacle of his presence. And you'll go and sit down in some restaurant and demons are going, shut up and come out in Jesus' name. You just walk around, you know. Hallelujah. Praise God. Every expulsion of demons means a fall of Satan. Glory to God. So the armies of heaven know this. Satan knows this and is hiding back in the corner trying to keep us from knowing this, but he's just been exposed tonight. Hallelujah. I know, listen, I've met intercessors before that would never even go to New Orleans tonight. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle all the sin, all the demons. They'd have a nervous breakdown right there. Let's get back to the basics, folks. Amen? You say, well, how is this true? Well, listen, when Paul showed up at Athens at Mars Hill, he didn't go into all the hyper-spiritual warfare. You know what he did? He preached the gospel. At the seat of, I mean, the occultic center of the, of the Roman Empire. Idolatry, I mean, give me a break. Temple prostitution like crazy, I mean, give me a break. Disgusting city. And guess what? He preached the gospel. Hallelujah. Glory 
You know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was? It wasn't sickness. Look at Acts 14. Pastor, I don't know why we got off on this. It just feels good in my tummy talking about it. <laughs> Look at this, Acts 14. I'm going to show you Paul's thorn in the flesh. It's incredible, folks. Acts 14 and verse 7. And there they continued to preach the good news. And at Lystra there was sitting a certain man without strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man, listening to Paul as he spoke, when he had fixed his gaze upon him and seen that he had been faith to made well, with a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. And the multitude saw what Paul had done. They raised their voice, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have become like men have come down to us. And they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus brought up, out the temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and offered, wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying, Man, we're just like you. What are you doing these things for? For the sake of time, look at verse 18. And even saying these things with difficulty restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. And look at, look at Paul's story in the flesh. Watch this. But when Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. How could a bunch of Jewish guys come in there and say a bunch of lies and turn a whole crowd ready to worship these guys into a mob to kill them? Supernatural thorn in the flesh. Angelios, an angel of the dark side. Revival or riot, folks? Glory to God. I think I shared that the reason why this probably helps some people. It wasn't sickness. If we want revival, we've got to count the cost. Seriously, okay? You, you want more? I mean, I just flowing out of me. If we want, I did a study about the, every time the glory visited somebody in the Old Testament. Look at Isaiah. The glory of God visited Isaiah, you know? Isaiah 6, I see the Lord of hosts high and lifted up. His train fills the temple, right? Who will go? I'll go, Lord. Send me. Touched his lips. He was cleansed. And then what was the call? You're going to have a great ministry throughout the earth. You know what the call was? Go to a stiff-necked people. And keep on speaking so they'll not hear. Make their hearts calloused. God, that's not what I trained for in Bible college. <laughs> and then preaches an awesome sermon. Amen? The people were cut to their heart. He says, I see the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And they rushed on him and went and pulsed and boom, dead. Lord, forgive him. Don't let this in their charge. And he went to sleep. So when there comes a, a vision, a, a call of God, we've got to count the cost. If we want, vision, if we want revival, we also understand that it could cause riot. I haven't heard many revival preachers that preach like this, folks. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to tell you we count the cost. Amen. We love not our lives to death. More persecution, greater crown of glory. Glory to God. Hallelujah. When the glory comes, it exposes men's darkness. And men love darkness and hate the light. And they'll persecute you because of that. 
the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. Hallelujah. So how many people want to take the bungee jump with me? God will only give you as much anointing as how much criticism you can endure. There's such a prince of the Lord here tonight, folks. Really is. And we're just, you know, what we're, what we're doing right now, we're entering into the wind tunnel of God right now. We're being tested. If there's any stress fractures in our wings, okay? Come on, let's go into the CAT scan of the Holy Ghost tonight. Let's do an MRI tonight. Say, Lord, there's anything in me that will phase out, that will pull back. If there's any yellow belly in me, Lord, just show me now. <laughs> there's anything... How many people want to fly an airplane that's never been through a wind tunnel experience? I mean, give me a break. I'll never fly an airplane like that. God, show us your glory. I mean, you really want to show my glory? <laughs> yes, Lord. I'm counting the cost, Father. I really do. I mean, we might as well say Geronimo and jump out of the airplane because there's no, all the bridges have been burned. You've been burning bridges, haven't you? There's nowhere to go back to. God's pleased, very pleased. Haggai 2, I didn't forget about it. Haggai 2. Man, I love this place. <laughs> really. Shalom. <laughs> She's out of it. Praise God. I haven't seen my wife like that for several months. Bless her. You guys don't know this. I hope, hope she doesn't hear. I love you, honey. My wife is singing, you know, rise up, my people, rise up. Sound like it's like in the, in the army, huh? She was an Israeli commando unit. She was a drill sergeant in an Israeli commando unit. Her job was to train men on the obstacle courses. Run them with full gear three times a day, five kilometers, three times a day. Last time she was like this was when we first entered this revival. We were pastoring in Brooklyn, and there's this, and my son falls on the floor, and he's laughing, but no sounds coming out. He's four years old, and he's kicking his shoes off, throwing a sweater, hitting the floor, slapping everything, laughing, but no sounds coming out. And we're, it's like a sign of wonder. The whole church is looking at him like, what's going on with Gideon? 
And Dali starts going like this, and almost she was six months pregnant with Yael. And she almost went into labor. <laughs> and then I pick up my son, and I'd hand him to the foyer. I'd never seen anything like this before. And I shook him, and I said, son, what's happening to you? And then he, he comes out of it, and he says, Abba, Jesus is tickling me. <laughs> And I felt about that high, you know. God, forgive me being a meathead. So I brought him back in. I put him back on the ground. He's just going wild. No sounds coming out, you know, just silent laughs. And I'm sitting like right where you're sitting. And the preacher is preaching right in the middle of the row like this. And suddenly he stops and says, I feel like repenting. The Lord's in this place. And he backs up like that toward the, 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 the organ. And a moment right before he said that, I felt like Jesus was standing down the aisle. I felt he was standing right down the aisle. And the, the preacher didn't know this. He goes, I feel like the Lord's in this place. And backs out of the way of the aisle. And my hands just melt into my face like this. And it's not like the presence of angels or anything like that. It's like Jesus himself, folks. See, we're still pastoring in New York City. And I feel like Jesus is walking past my left shoulder. And I feel him pass right by me. And I go like this. <laughs> I looked. And I saw, just for a split second, I saw the back of the Lord's head and down to his torso like that. And it just went right through the wall. And then these words came real loud to me. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And that's the night we resigned the pastorate. Somebody gave us, walked up to me, a Jewish guy, never met, never been in our service before, says, I don't know why, but the Lord told me to give you this check. And opened it up, it was $6,000. Started our ministry, got us out of the pastorate. And praise the Lord. So she hasn't been like that since then. I mean, it's, I mean, she's been like that, but not like this. And it tells me inside, I share that with you, but God's been doing something this week. I don't know what he's about to do. Maybe tonight, I don't know. Praise God. More, Lord. Haggai 2, verse 6, thus says the Lord of the armies of heaven, once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations. And they will come with the wealth of all the nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of the armies of heaven. You see it, man? Satan doesn't have a chance. He's already defeated. I'm telling you, folks. God's just positioning his army, letting the heathen roar, and he who sits in heaven laughs. Listen, when you mention the name of Jesus, the demons tremble. You know why? Because you're mentioning the commander of the Lord of hosts. Get the revelation of God, of Jesus, not just the shepherd, but the commander, the Schwarzkopf of heaven. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of the armies of heaven. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of the armies of heaven. 
The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of the armies of heaven. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of the armies of heaven. And in this place I shall give shalom, declares the Lord of the armies of heaven. Why does the prophet put gold and silver in the middle of the shaking in the glory of God? The Hebrew word for glory is kavod. Kavod means the weighty presence of God. Hallelujah. It's the weighty presence. Light, uh, momentary affliction is it producing us an eternal weight of glory. You can feel it tonight. There's a weight, kavod. It means the weighty presence of God. Kaved is the, another derivative. It means somebody who is heavy with gold and silver. Somebody who is loaded. Genesis 13 and verse 2. Genesis 13 and 2. Abraham was very heavy or rich with gold, silver, and livestock. Abraham came in, dug some wells. He threw his weight around because he had so much. So the reason silver and gold is here with the glory of the latter house is because they're synonymous terms in Hebrew. Are you out there tonight? Give me some feedback. Hallelujah. <laughs> the silver, to be loaded with silver and gold, to be weighted down, is the same Hebrew word for the glory of God. That's why Paul says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his Riches in riches and glory, the same term in Hebrew. Meaning God's going to throw, away, throw his weight around. That's how he's going to shake everything. His glory, his splendor. All the Dagons are going to fall on their noses. Hallelujah. He's going to throw his weight around. And how's he going to throw his weight around? When we prepare himself a sanctuary. Ah! Oh, I'm so excited about this. Okay. <laughs> Get the picture, okay? Oh. Okay. <sighs> okay. Now, look at this. The word kavod, the glory of God, the weighty prince of God, is only time it manifests in the Bible is in three places. The tabernacle, the temple, or God's people in the New Testament. I mean, you cannot separate the visitation of glory from the tabernacle and the temple and we, the house of God. Now, look at this. Would you think that in the Bible, the creation account and the fall of man was a very important doctrinal issue, right? Hello? Is that important creation? The fall of man? But guess what? It's only given three chapters in Genesis. But the precise directions, architectural renderings of a place God could bring His glory takes up whole books! Why? 
Because God wants to hang out with his people. Creation, the fall of man. Only three chapters. Whole books taken up on how to prepare a place for God to come hang out with his people and not barbecue everybody at the same time. preaching about four sermons tonight. Glory to God. We'll take an offering in just a moment. Look at, look at, look at Exodus 24. Look at this. Ay, ay, ay. Exodus 24. And verse 10. And they saw the God of Israel... And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. He did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of Israel, and they beheld God, they ate and drank. They had a picnic. God wants to hang out. Verse 15, the glory of God covered the mountain of Sinai, right? Appearance of the glory is like fire. And look at chapter 25 now. The first thing God says as he visits in his glory cloud, he says in verse 2, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. For every man whose heart moves him, he shall raise my contribution. Take up an offering. Why? Let's read on. Verse 8. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. The Hebrew word dwell is shechan. It means to be a neighbor. God wants to hang out with his people. How did the nations know that God was with Israel? By the presence of his visible presence. How is Budweiser and the New Orleans Saints going to know God is here? Not by neon lighting. Hallelujah. The glory cloud. It's coming, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it's coming. The Hebrew word shakan, which means to dwell, is also the... Hebrew word Shekinah, Shekinah glory. Look at verse 21 of chapter 26. Take up an offering so I can build this, okay? You should put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testament which I give to you, and there I will meet with you. Look at chapter 29. Exodus 29, look at this. Verse 42, this is awesome, man. It shall be continual burnt offerings throughout your generations in the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you and speak with you. And I'll meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. Where two or three people are gathered in my name, I'm in your midst. Verse 45, I'll dwell there. Chapter 30, verse 6, I will meet with you. So here's the symbolism. Get it. God, Moses is on the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights, okay, in the glory. God gives him precise, not human, but precise divine directions, architectural renderings, how to build a place that God can hang out with the people without killing them all. Okay, right? So the glory of God moves off the mountain into between the cherubim at the mercy seat. 
And it eventually goes through times of judges and prophets and moves into a time of the temple now. And it goes into the temple. And it's there. And it departs on several occasions. Then David rejoices, you know, the ark spring brought back. <laughs> and then there's a silent time. It's Ichabod. There's no glory at all. And then the glory of God comes in human flesh in Jesus. And then Jesus goes to the, the mount of transfiguration and is transfigured before them in the glory, the Shekinah. And Moses and Elijah's there. And Peter, a good Jewish boy, thinking, the glory's here. We better build something to house this thing. We all get barbecued. Lord, is it good that we be here? We'll build three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Be quiet. And now the glory of God is in Jesus. But now Jesus goes to heaven, Acts 1. And the same glory comes in the upper room upon the church. So where are we now from there until here? Look at Ephesians 2. My goodness. I'm so excited tonight. So where's the glory cloud now? What's well, in each one of us in certain degrees? But let's get all these clouds together and create a big storm. <laughs> Ephesians 2 and verse 19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints in the house of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The Greek says a place of settling down. Hello, living stones. We're being fit together for God. A place of Him settling down. The glory from the mountain to the tabernacle to the temple, back to, the, back to Jesus, then on the transfiguration to the early church. And now it's coming back together, being fit together, and we're the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, mobile tabernacles. We are ministers of a new covenant. Hallelujah. Let's save an offering now before we go any further. Hallelujah. You say, why do you have an offering? Well, you get in the glory cloud. Moses says, take up an offering. Because you're giving into the glory. You're giving into what God's doing in this hour. Praise the Lord. Father, bless the people as they give tonight. Let them catch the revelation of the glory and the gold. And we thank you for it, Father. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers, you may receive tonight's offering. Hallelujah. 
You know, if you look at 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about his apostolic ministry. Ministers of the new covenant, not the old covenant. Not of the letter that kills, but the spirit of his life. In the day that the letter was given, 3,000 people died. The letter kills. The day the spirit was given, 3,000 were born again at Pentecost. Hallelujah. And then it goes on and says that the God of this world, chapter 4, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving lest they see the light of the glory. So the enemy's job, his only camouflage he has is try to camouflage the glory. Or get us walking in compromise and sin so our reflectors become dirty and they can't see the reflection of God's glory through us. Come out from amidst of them. Be separate and I'll be your, you'll be my temple. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God of hosts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know what else to talk about, to tell you the truth. I'm just really intoxicated right now. Praise the Lord. What should we do, Pastor? What should we do? I'm so I mean, you know, I'm used to giving altar calls. Listen, if you're not saved, then I get saved. I mean, repent. <laughs> Living in sin, stop it. If you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, you've never spoken in tongues, just lean back, throw up your hands, and start speaking. If you need healing your body, just th start thanking God for it. Lay hands on yourself, hallelujah, and be healed tonight. Glory to God. You're having marriage problems. Just start loving your wife as Christ loves the church. Hallelujah. And your wife will submit to you. Hallelujah. You got financial problems, just give. Go run down the ushers and give again. Hallelujah. Let's get past the elementary teachings. Let's move on. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. It's been good tonight, hasn't it? It's like it moved an intercession for the lost, you know. And then we kind of did some things about spiritual warfare, you know. And then the, the tornado vision, you know, heightened our expectancy of what's about to happen. And then moving into the, you know, the Lord of the armies of heaven, glory to God. And then the glory cloud filling, you know, not just the tabernacle and the temple, but us now, making us one. Hallelujah. And... It's all going to end with a rise, shine, for our light has come. Amen. The glory of God has risen. And the great darkness being there. Who cares what's happening out in the world right now? Hallelujah. They'll see the light and they'll run in with their sons and daughters with the gold and silver with them. Isaiah 60. And somewhere in there we'll get taken out of here. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. I got the final scripture. We're finished. Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You know, when the Holy Ghost comes on me like this, I can just teach all night. I mean, it's incredible. It just... It's, look at this. Okay, we ended with Isaiah 60, okay? 
Don't you love complete Bible studies, man? Genesis, Revelation. I love it. Anybody falls off their chair, piece of, you know, too late in the service will raise you from the dead. Now look at Ephesians 5, verse 14. Oh, no, no, no. Let's, let's be up here. Verse 7. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, we could start at Genesis 1. We just don't have time. <laughs> look at Ephesians 5, 7. Therefore, do I make our parties with him. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is even disgraceful to speak of the things which are done by them in secret right now in Mardi Gras. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. Everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Messiah will shine on you. Quoting from Isaiah 60. Now, you remember that song? Arise, shine, for your light has come. Nice song. Bam, delete button. Throw it in a recycling bin. Delete it off the hard drive. Wrong melody. Too wimpy. I shine. Listen, folks. It is, in Hebrew, it's kumi baori. You know what kumi means? Get up! It's in the imperative. I asked Dalit, I said, honey, what's kumi mean to you? It's not arise, honey. Shine. This little line of mine. You know, I said, what does it mean? And she said, well, you know, my, my mom, you know, would come in my room and I overslept for school as a little girl in Israel, you know. My mom wouldn't say, oh, Dalit, arise, sweetheart. Your bus just left. <laughs> Get up! What are you doing? Get up! That's what he's saying right here. Get up! And Messiah will shine on you. Therefore, how can we get up? Okay, we'll make it real simple. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time as the days are evil. Okay, the days are evil. Tornadoes are coming. I mean, oh, all this stuff's happening. Oh, what's going on? I mean, we could have biological warfare. I mean, Israel could not take it. Just nuke Baghdad. World War III, we're out of here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whatever, you know. Okay, how do we make the most of our time? How do we awake? How do we not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is? Okay, what's the will of the Lord? This is the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Greek says, let me just, I wrote it here. To be filled with the Spirit means a present passive imperative. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> imperative means command, you know? Guess where we get the word imperative from? It's from the Latin word emperor. I Meaning if the emperor says something, you better do it, your head's going to roll, right? So here, the commander in chief is telling us an imperative as our emperor. Present tense calls for habitual and continual action. I command you to be continually and habitually filled with the Spirit. Filled, filled, filled. Keep being filled. 
Filled, 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 filled. You know, Winnie's, Winnie is the best example I've seen in church so far of somebody who is maintaining that scripture as much as possible. God, forgive us. <laughs> Be continually, habitually filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of your heart to the Lord. So as you get drunk, you sing to yourself, okay? Now watch this. As you sing to yourself, you're able to submit to one another in Christ. Then wives, you're able to submit to your husbands because you're drunk. And then husbands, you're able to love your wives as Christ loves the church because you're drunk. And then it says children, you're able to honor your parents because you're drunk. And, and then it says you're able to not render man-pleasing service at work but to the Lord. And then it says you're able to be strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God because you're totally drunk. Read it. It's all there in context. You know, we were trying to put all the Ephesian prayer armor on in the 80s. We forgot about Ephesians 5.18, getting drunk first. Okay, let's get drunk. Thank you for being patient listening to me. Oh, Jesus. Okay, this is what we should do. If you just want to get filled again, and you were filled early this morning, but you kind of leaked again, Come back up, we'll pray for you. Hallelujah. Oh, my. You guys are wild. Thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says, if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. 
I'm calling today, Lord, save me, forgive me, cleanse me, take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming, running home to you now. In your name I pray, amen. Shalom, friends. This is Scott Holtz with Rivers in the Desert. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www. Dot flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. Looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom.